Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast to communicate stories of the people and practices from far-flung ranches and dairies throughout the state in an effort to better connect them to the customers that they serve. We're fortunate that the Likely Land and Livestock Company was one of our first ranch visits. The ranch is massive and an entity unto itself, almost consuming the tiny town of Likely in Modoc County in northeastern California. In fact, it's unlikely that the town would even exist without the ranch. The interview you're about to hear are the result of two trips we made to Likely in April and October of this year. On both trips, we lodged in the town of Alturas, about 20 miles north of Likely on Highway 395, as there is no lodging available in Likely. We stayed in the historic Niles Hotel, which was completed in 1912 by J. Eugene Niles, later becoming the social center of Alturas. The hotel fell into disrepair in the mid-20th century and was later restored to its prior glory in the 1980s. The hotel is rumored to be haunted, possibly by a prostitute that was allegedly murdered on the property, but any experiences we may have had on our two visits are probably for another time in another podcast. Given its remoteness, the likely land and livestock company has had to be self-sufficient, necessitating an on-site bunkhouse for lodging, a cookhouse for eating, and a machine shop for repairing the ranch's aging fleet of vehicles. When visiting the ranch, one will be hard-pressed for evidence that you weren't transported to the 1950s or 60s. This is not to say that the Flournoys stubbornly adhere to tradition or are reluctant to innovate. It's just that you need to know where to look. A prime example is a feed truck that was dreamed up by the machine shop that uses a series of chains to ferry barrels to the ideal spot for feeding with minimal effort. Though the truck was recently built, I doubt many of the parts on it are younger than I am. For those interested in hearing more about this vehicle, we'll include a short video at our website at calcattlecouncil.org. This episode will start with an April interview with the three Flournoy brothers, Billy, Dave, and John, fourth-generation ranchers and likely where they provide a bit of ranch history and illustrate the importance of the cookhouse. We then meet with Jessica, the new cookhouse cook, and enjoy a lunch of roast chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, green peas, homemade biscuits, and pie for dessert. We'll also hear from Miles Flournoy, fifth-generation rancher and son to John, discuss a livestock guardian dog that they're training to protect calves on the ranch from predation. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. Well, I'm David Flournoy, Billy and Johnny's younger brother. Bill Flournoy. Uh, John Flournoy. Can you speak to why this has lasted so long? Because this is what, fifth generation farm, is that right? Well, I'd say it's lasted so long because we like the living more than anything in our family. And we, we I, I think we had something to kind of live down. We stayed here. We were born into it and liked it, liked the work and... And it wasn't that lucrative, but it was still was a darn good way to live. Dad had a saying, it was a darn good life, but a, not that great a living. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the three of you about your family and kind of like the division of labor, did you naturally just have those skill sets or did you kind of divide yourselves? I was here to start with and Johnny came, what, four or five years later, he went in the yes. service and and did some outside work, and then he came here, and it was the irrigating, and the water was issues were his bag, and I just stayed with the cattle and the horses, and and moving the cattle, and then Davy came later yet, and had a desire for mechanics and stuff, and that's where he wound up. We don't know. Johnny might have drew the short straw. Did you draw the short straw? Uh, probably. It just seemed like that's what needed to be done at the time I got here. It was the air gating. We were buying uh, 
over a thousand ton of hay a year to to uh, feed our cows at that time. We just set about trying to level ground and fertilize and do a better job irrigating. And today we've got plenty of hay to take care of everything. How many acres total are? Oh, it's too damn many sometimes. Uh, 15,000 acres with everything, don't we? Yeah, 12 would probably hit it closer. Yeah. I was kind of struck just how much natural beauty there is up here and how much parkland and things you can see. Not so remote, but remote enough that the, there's not yeah. a ton of, of ton of visitors. Not yet. Getting to be more, the transportation's better and roads are better. And when we were kids, we had lots going on here in Modoc County in the 50s and 60s. Rodeos and field days and live music every place. And now people go to Reno and have lunch and come back same day. I want to talk a little bit about the significance of the cookhouse. I mean, it's obviously efficient and needed, and you need to fuel people up for, like, hard work and things yeah. like that. But does it have other sorts of significance? We discuss quite a lot of our business right there at the breakfast and lunch table, and our crew knows what we're thinking. And we don't tell them to eat and get out of here. We're going to have a little meeting, and we just kind of go ahead with it. Some of them like to listen in. and Some of them some eat them. and get out of there as quick as they can. Yeah. Some corporations have an annual meeting. Our little family corporation probably has a, a board meeting two or three times a week, you might say. With having a cook in the bunkhouse, when I was speaking to them, they said that there was somebody else that was cooking there for a while who is not there now. Is it regularly a seasonal job? Have you had periods of time where you had a, a person there for a long time doing yeah. all the cooking? We've had some cooks 15, 20 years. Same one. Some 15, Violet, 20 days. Yeah. Violet was a... First cook I can remember over there, I think, that stayed a long time. Or Mary McMullen. Yeah, Mary McMullen cooked for our family. She here in Jess Valley for 42 years. A damn good cook and good person and everything. And then we had some that just didn't work out, didn't gel with us. And, and typically people who, who maintain that position, they live on the property. Yeah, they live right there. Yeah, if you have... 15 orders come in in the same minute at a restaurant. That's not easy. Is it like a learning curve for them or? Somewhat. It is because we don't do it enough. She no. knows there's going to be 15 for breakfast and can plan on that. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we we're Sometimes we're a little lax that way and we don't tell her till 5 o'clock in the morning you're going to have two more for breakfast or something. We had a lady here, Maxine Morris, cook. I think she must have cooked 15 years for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would put a whole meal on and two or three pies and a cake and then just disappear. We wouldn't see her until we left the kitchen and she'd come in and gather everything up and do the dishes and clean up and be ready for lunch. But she was very efficient and, and a good lady and everything. But she could do it easy. How many are lunch today, do you know? Well, I believe there's three of you, which make up for the cowboys not being here. And then we're missing Carlos. I might have four others. Are you from California? I am. I'm from Anderson. Born and raised. It's perfect for me because we have a baby, so it's something I feel like I'm just doing like I'm at home. It works. I love it. I worked in a restaurant, so I love that. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Hey. Hey, Miles. Howdy. I'm raising a 
guardian dog right off the hill here. If you look, you'll see. I saw him. Yeah, yeah. He's cute. Um, he's he's bonding with those seven lappy calves down there. He's he's in the pin whip. And he had a big old smile on his face when we walked up. He's yeah, like, he's so stoked. <laughs> yeah, he's about he's only about five five or six months old. He's cute right now. Mm. Yeah, doing good down there. And he's in theory he's supposed to uh, protect the cattle from large predators. But we'll, we'll see how well it works. So we're giving it an honest try for a couple of weeks. I just had to keep gathering my calves and putting them back in the pen. Cause well, right, the dog he, was, he was pushing them out? Well, he was just really friendly with the other ones. Oh. And he likes to play with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a bit of a dog. To <laughs> and he had a tail and one was just dragging them along. And, he had... and now these ones are good, finally. But it took a few weeks to... To get him to realize yeah, sure. that, the, that the polar bear wasn't trying to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> this is a specific breed or could it be? Pyrenees and the other one. Uh, Anna. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I can't think of the, the name. Like the illusion? <laughs> That's what it is. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Nail. Can't fool you. <laughs> All right. So the breed is not called Andalusian. I'm sometimes surprised how my brain works. Turns out my understanding of the word Andalusian stemmed from a lyric in the 1989 Pixies song Debaser, which references a 1929 Franco-Spanish silent surrealist short horror film titled Un Chien Andalou, which translates to Andalusian Dog. The film was by Spanish director Louis Bignel and artist Salvador Dali. In the song, singer Frank Black repeats they purposely mistranslated I am un chien Andalusia in the chorus. The film is most famous for its opening scene where a woman's eyeball is seemingly sliced open. The eyeball used actually belonged to a processed calf. The breed we were looking for was the Anatolian Shepherd, which makes a lot more sense. We'd like to leave you with some cowboy poetry recited by Billy Flournoy and written by the late renowned cowboy poet, Sonny Hancock. You want a poem? That would be beautiful, yeah. I got a, a, my favorite poem is written by an old friend of mine up here at Paisley, Oregon. He come from Arizona. His name was Sonny Hancock. And he's a great guy, great old guy. Old, kind of a, he was a homeliest guy you ever saw. And his wife told me, she says, I went through the Medford Airport and he was tending bar there. And she says, when I left there, I knew I was going to come back and see him. And she met him again and married him and... Anyway, he wrote this poem about when he left Arizona and came to the ZX Ranch up here at Paisley. I was born back in the Depression, back when times was kind of bad, and I learned the occupation of cow punching from my dad. Out in a godforsaken country, t'was a greasy sack outfit that was mostly held together with hard work and hair and spit. Back in that stage of history, at least in our part of the West, about as soon as they got you weaned, it was time to leave the nest. Because one man was all the labor that our outfit seemed to need, and a kid my age was nothing but another mouth to feed. But that didn't bother me none, because school was kind of slow, and I figured that I knew most everything a man would need to know. And I knew that Buckaroon was where I'd make my stand. By that time, I was pretty sure that I was quite a hand. Now, jobs there was a plenty, you could find them by the score. We was right there in the middle of that Second World War. So I picked me out an outfit that was salty as a cob, and the boss said, sure, unload your saddle, son. You found yourself a job. Then he told me about the horses, and he must have read my mind. Because he asked me if I liked that old high-stepping kind. Well, sir, I then informed him in a voice not weak nor small. 
that's the kind that probably suit me very best of all because I like them energetic, and that's the kind I pick. I was built plum fork it, sort of like a witching stick. Well, next morning we had breakfast quite a while ahead of dawn. Cowboss wrote me out a horse and said his name was Leprechaun. Said the reason that they named him that was really pretty clear. If I didn't grab his head right quick, it was apt to disappear. And son, while you're riding out about today, just have a look around. You'll see a lot of little holes been punched into the ground. They wasn't dug by badgers nor by prairie dogs, he said. Fact is, they're about the same size as a bragging cowboy's head. Well, I rode that horse that morning down through draws and over knolls. We didn't gather many cattle, but we punched a lot of holes. And all that fall, you had to watch it round the rope corral, you see, because it was always raining, and mostly raining me. Fact, it got plum entertaining. I heard one feller say, it looked like I was flying a little further every day. And then the conversation took a nasty little twist when the cook said he might have to add some birdseed to his list. Because if I took the flying and it looked as if I might, he'd scatter some along the ground for days I chose to light. I don't know why I didn't quit. It surely wasn't pride. I lost that when I couldn't find no horses I could ride. But then one morning early, why I pert nearly crowed. A big black horse took to me, and I finally got one rode. But it weren't no time for crowing to heard an old boy drawl. That horse thought there was five or six up there, and he couldn't throw them all. Well, they rolled the wagon in that fall. It was snowy, cold, and damp. So I thought I'd ask old cowboss for a winter job in camp. The old boy looked me over, sort of searching like and slow. And I figured from the look I got, he's going to tell me no. He cleared his throat a little, and he bit him off a chew. And he said, well, now, young fella, I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got a job still open over on the Peach Spring side. And I might just let you have it and some horses I could ride. Because I think you'll make a cowboy, at least that's my suspicion. I'll give that job to you on just this one condition. Because this here, any outfit you are apt to find, will always have some of that old high-stepping kind. So I want you to promise me when you go down the pike, you'll never tell another feller that's the kind you like. Just take them as they bring them to you and he give his hat a jerk. Son, you've been riding rough strings since the day you come to work. Well, I looked down at my feet and kind of nodded my assent. I worked for lots of outfits since, but no matter where I went, I took them as they brung them to me and I never paid no mind. And I never told nobody else I liked that old high-stepping cow. That's Sonny Hancock's. He's a, really a good old guy. But a lot of guys can recite poems, but a damn few of them can write anything worth reciting. That's the way I look at it. If you'd like to see photographs of our visit, go to www.calcattlecouncil.org. If there's something you'd like to hear from stories of California cattle country, you could contact me at ryan at calcattleman.org or leave comments on our various social media posts. We'll be back in two weeks with stories from the New Hope Dairy in Galt, California. Thanks for listening.